Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you at Zion Presbyterian Church. I was really excited when Mark called and asked if if I would come, and I was excited to see the brand new work and a lot of familiar faces and new faces as well, and to see what God has already done in a short time here is an encouragement indeed. This morning... My text is from the Gospel of Matthew, if you have your Bibles with you, you would turn to the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and if you do not have your Bible with you, you can take the Pew Bible and turn to page 831, that's 831. Now would you stand with me in honor of God's eternal holy word. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was Thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it unto the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He who has ears, let him hear. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning grateful again that we may turn to your word. And hear 
once again the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray that, Lord, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that which you would have us receive this morning. Spirit of the living God, take your word and seal it upon our hearts. May we be those who live out what we profess by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage I just read in our hearing this morning should cause each of us to examine ourselves very carefully. For nothing short than eternity hangs in the balance. Our Lord could not be more clear. You and I will be in one of two groups on the final day. We will either be a sheep or a goat. We will either be numbered among the elect or among the damned. We will either enter heaven in all of its glory or hell in all of its fury. J.I. Packer writes, The certainty of final judgment forms the frame within which the New Testament message of saving grace is set. Did you hear what I just said? Let me read Packer again. The certainty of final judgment forms the framework within which the New Testament message of saving grace is set. Or in less eloquent terms, but no less true, in the words of the old Baptist preacher R.G. Lee, payday is coming someday. And on that final day, on that day of judgment, only one thing will matter, and it's this. Do you and I possess true saving faith? Are we truly Christ's disciples? On that day, we will be examined by how we have treated the least of Christ's brothers. Are you ready? Am I ready? Will we pass the test? Now when it comes to the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the naked, the poor, and the prisoner, no Christian gets to live by the adage, out of sight, out of mind. Now I know it would be easy to live that way in our society for the sick convalesce in hospitals. The poor live in parts of town that we tend to avoid, and prisoners are locked away in prisons, out of sight, out of mind. But as I encounter Christ in the Scriptures, brothers and sisters, I find it impossible to ignore the needs of the poor, the stranger, the sick, and the prisoner, and call myself His disciple. As I follow Jesus through the Gospels, I find Him bringing the outcast out of the shadows and into my sight line. Jesus loved the unlovable, and He still does. He welcomed sinners the way they were, but He did not leave them the way He found them. He rescued them from the prison of sin, set them free, and transformed their lives. He has done the same for you and for me. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God still loves the unlovable. And when we read the Scriptures, we find that God's Word rebukes 
our indifference towards those we may be tempted to neglect. When it comes to the broken humanity all around us, brothers and sisters, we do not get the privilege to live by the adage, out of sight, out of mind. The way we treat the least of these among us is very important to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says very clearly he will judge us based upon the way we have treated them. And in this passage that I just read from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus makes four things unmistakably clear. The first thing that Jesus makes very clear is who will be the judge on the final day. Number one, he is the king who will judge all the earth. At his first advent, at Jesus' first coming, he made himself of no reputation, didn't he? He came in secret and in humiliation. The shepherds and the wise men had to search for him. He came as a humble carpenter. He came to serve and not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Isaiah looks down through the corridors of time and he sees Christ's first coming and he says of him, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus came into this world for the first time, tucked away in the little town of Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a lowly manger. That was his first appearing. But his second coming is going to be very different. Every eye shall see him. Even those who pierced him shall behold him. And the Bible says that the nations will wail because of him. And on that glorious and terrible day, on that day of rejoicing, and mourning on that day of great celebration and weeping and gnashing of teeth, Christ will judge all humanity. Look with me in our passage and see how Jesus begins describing this day by saying, when the Son of Man comes in His glory. I want us to consider that phrase, Son of Man, for just a moment. Did you know that Jesus used that title for Himself more than any other title? It's mentioned 80 times in the Gospels. 32 of those times are recorded here in the book of Matthew. It is a title that refers to him as the Messiah. But if you'll think for just a moment, you'll remember that the Gospels is not the first time that we hear the phrase Son of Man, is it? Think back to the Old Testament for just a moment. And you'll remember Daniel uses that phrase. The Almighty allowed Daniel to see the final day. God pulled back the curtain of time and He allowed Daniel to peer into eternity. And Daniel says, I saw one like the Son of Man come before the Ancient of Days, and to Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom will never be destroyed. Like Daniel, John 
The apostle is allowed to see into the future, and John said, I saw one like the Son of Man clothed with a long robe with a gold sash across his chest, and his hairs, the hairs of his head were white like snow, and his feet looked like they'd been through the refiner's fire, and his face shone like the sun, and when he spoke, it sounded like the many rushing Roaring waters. It will be very evident on that final day to all that Jesus is the judge. The world may mock him today, but one day their mouths will be stopped and Jesus will judge. He will be the judge, number one. Number two, Jesus makes unmistakably clear in our passage that all men and all women will be judged. Jesus says in verse 32, Before him will be gathered all nations. 2 Timothy 4 and Revelation 20 tells us that all will be judged, both the living and the dead. He will judge all of us and he will determine our eternal destiny. No one will escape this judgment. Men may choose to live like it's not going to happen, but payday, my brothers and sisters, payday is coming someday. Wicked men, wicked men may live in the enjoyment of sin. They oppress the poor. They ignore the hurting, the sick, and the prisoner. They even make money off of them at times. And we are left to wonder, God, where are you? Can't you see? Do you not care? Have you ever uttered those words in prayer? Where is God's justice in this sin-wrecked world? I know I've uttered those words. I know in frustration and despondency there have been times I've wondered, where is God's righteous judgment? When I find myself asking these questions, I'm reminded of Psalm 73. Do you remember how Psalm 73 starts out? David writes, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But then David says, do you remember what he goes on to say? He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Why, David? Why had your feet almost stumbled? You're the king of Israel, God's anointed one, appointed to do great things. Why had your feet almost stumbled? He said, my feet had almost stumbled because I was envious of the arrogant. Think of that. King David being envious of the arrogant. David, why were you envious of the arrogant? He says, because I saw them prosper. They had no pain until death. Their, fat, their faces were fat with pleasure and richness and, and rich food. And they were sleek and they never suffered tribulation or trials like I do. And I was envious of the arrogant until the point that my foot had almost slipped. 
In other words, David's saying, what's the deal? I've set my heart to seek you. I have kept my heart clean and I have washed my hands in innocence. What a picture that is. I've asked you to lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake and yet I deal with affliction because of wicked men. And David was tempted to despair. And he said, trying to understand these things was too much of a weighty matter for me. But do you remember what David did next? He went to church. And he quieted his mind. And he quieted his soul. And he worshipped the living God. And then he saw their end. The end of the wicked. How swift and how complete it will be when God pronounces judgment. David saw payday is coming someday. So the first thing that Jesus wants us to know is that he will be the judge, the king who will judge. Secondly, he wants us to know that all men and women of all time will be judged. Thirdly, he wants us to know that we will be judged based upon our works. Now, I know that statement can make reformed people nervous, but it shouldn't if we really understand our theology. And I'm going to get into that right now. At this judgment, Christ will separate the sheep from the goats, the believer from the unbeliever. And Jesus will look at his own and he will tell them how they have shown great love for him. The sheep will be astonished. Why do you think the elect will be astonished at what they hear? Those who have been chosen for eternal life, those who believe, the Luke, Luke tells us in Acts, always those who believe are those who are appointed unto eternal life. Paul tells us that those who are predestined are those who come to saving faith in Christ. And on that final day, Jesus will say, my own, my elect, my chosen, my sheep will look at me and be astonished at what they hear. Why will they be astonished at Jesus' words? Well, consider what we will be staring at. We will see Jesus in his resplendent glory. The seraphim will be there crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the earth is filled with his glory. The angels and the mighty army of angels will be there singing his praises. And Jesus will look at us and he will say, I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked. I was sick, I was in prison, and you came to me. Oh, how wonderful our Savior is. If I, if I had time, I, I, don't, I would never have enough time to preach on just that one part of the passage. Mark and I could never get to the depths of that passage 
because what you see there is union with Jesus Christ. And he loves us so much that he does not care what our financial situation is, whether we're hungry or thirsty, physically or spiritually, whether we're naked or sick or in prison. Jesus is so united with us that he never leaves us, not even in our lowest points. He says, the, the author of Hebrews says that he is never ashamed to call us his brothers. Let God's people say amen. Say it louder. I know we're Presbyterians, but we can act like Baptists for just a moment. Jesus unites himself with us. He's not ashamed of his own, even in our weakness. And the children of God, the elect, the predestined, those who have been brought from death unto life, will be amazed at what they hear. And they will wonder... How can you, the glorious King of kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the Word of the living God made flesh, the Creator Himself, He who holds all things together by His mighty Word, how can you ever be in need? And Jesus will respond, as you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. What Jesus is saying is not ambiguous. He's saying that those who will enter into the kingdom of heaven are those who have had mercy and compassion on the least of his brothers. Those who will inherit eternal life are those who have served Christ by serving the least among us. Now, I know what that sounds like. It sounds as though Jesus is saying that those who enter into heaven will enter in based on their own merit. Now, you and I know better than that. Or I hope you know better than that. If you don't know better than that, listen very closely. We know not to take this passage of Scripture and isolate it from what the rest of Scripture says about the doctrines of grace, about salvation. It would be a terrible error for someone to read this text and think, I better get busy doing good deeds so I can earn my place in heaven. We don't believe that because it's not true. But it is how... 